Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. Every week, Michael Rosenbaum is getting deep with someone new on the Inside of You podcast. Let's get inside of Shelly Hennick. So Obliterated's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I had the best time. And it was great. challenging, but it was like the show. It doesn't always happen. Everybody's trying to make a show and you're this not. This was a it's dream. It's no fun. Genuinely. That's and if it beautiful. wasn't, I would just keep my mouth shut and talk about something else. Like, yeah, it like, was, hey, it was fine. Because yes. I've done that. I've asked people and they're like, you know. Yeah. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen. And it's always a pleasure to talk to our next guest. One of the reasons the Giants broadcasting crew is the best in the business. How do I know that? I've listened to every single one of them for over 10 years, and I know they're the best. Can I back that up? No, I cannot. You're going to have to trust me. (laughs) Hello, John. Hey, John. I'm going with you as the ultimate authority on that particular category. So I think you should. I mean, it could backfire, but for now, I think you should. <laughs> I sold, yeah. I agree. Beautiful, yeah. Uh, how you been? I'm well. I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I, I'm going down to uh, the Valley of the Sun tomorrow, and we're going to start broadcasting on Saturday, 12.05, first pitch. Don't miss it. Giants-Cubs. Have you been working on your uh, your call for the uh, first uh, first uh, broadcast? No, I, in fact, I'm I'm right now with my nephew uh, Cameron Jameson. He's driving me to this uh, event I'm, I'm doing over in. Uh, people are so excited about baseball. They you know, all the players are down in the Cactus League already. So uh, they, they asked me to come and talk some ball with with all these guys <laughs> over here. So uh, anyway, uh, uh, I think the. Uh, uh, Cameron and I have been talking baseball the whole time. He had a question, and 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 your name came up. Uh oh, that can't if, be if good. He, and he's an athlete. You know, he's a, he plays uh, water polo, outstanding top water polo guy, and now he's coaching water polo. Great athlete. I mean, yeah. you have to be a good athlete to play be successful at water polo. Yes. But uh, he, he was like, if he stepped in the batter's box against a big league pitcher and got you know a certain number of pitches at full. Uh, tilt and whatnot, and, and he was at full tilt, uh, would he even be able to put a ball in play? He was having this argument with his friends. And I brought up uh, uh, you as a, a, an outstanding professional athlete who had a great uh, NBA career and whatnot, uh, coming out to uh, uh, Pac Bell Park and, and taking some swings again. I can't remember. It was, it, was Kruko. It I can't yep. Mike Kruko, yep. And, it's, and you put the ball in play. You, you hit some balls. You hit someone pretty squarely, but... Yep. Uh, 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 I think Krug was putting a little movement on the ball and whatnot, and uh, not making it easy for you. So, uh, uh, so it's not that easy, but it, it is a good discussion, though, right? Yeah, I, I, look, I, I I give myself a a less than five percent chance of putting one in play if I went up against a major league pitcher and they were actually trying to get me out. I, I mean, I just those guys are so good. I tell people all the time, they're like, do you think I could score off so-and-so, an NBA player? I'm like, you couldn't get a shot off if they didn't want you to get a shot off. Like, I I don't think people, John, understand how good professional athletes are 
because they're always playing against each other. And some are better than others, so some maybe don't look that good, and some are incredible. But even the ones that don't look that good are in the top 001% of everybody that's ever played the sport. And I think people lose sight of that fact, and they think, oh, and you're sitting on your couch. How could you not swing at that? How do you not hit that? Well, it's really, really really hard now the expectations are higher because they're professional athletes too but i don't know until you play a one-on-one against an nba player or maybe go out and get drilled against a nfl player or step in the batter's box against a major league player i don't think people can fully comprehend how great these guys are and it's not their fault because they don't have that chance but those guys are so i mean so good it's like and they've been doing it their whole lives too so yeah, I would say his chances are probably similar to mine. Not great. Yeah, and and he wasn't. I, I want to add that Cameron wasn't uh, uh, necessarily arguing with his friends. Oh, I would hit some line drives. I would. Uh, uh, I'd pepper that ball all over the lot. <laughs> but he, they were just having this discussion. Would he even be able to put a ball? Probably. In play? Yeah, probably and, put it uh, in play. Because if because if you shorten up your swing, right? If you start your swing instead of having it way back, have it up. And just try to like you know kind of butcher boy it just chop it chop it through. You might be able to uh, get a piece of a ball and uh, hit a ground ball to the infield somewhere. But I think if you were trying to like make solid contact with it, uh, Copes could even speak better than I could. Well, Sean, he played I think, he played th- baseball at a higher level than I did. I think the question just is how many pitches would it take you to get the hit? Because I think well, you need a couple of hundreds. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's kind of where I was. I was going like two fifty before you got before you got the hit. I was going like yeah. five hundred would be yeah. too many. Uh, maybe maybe two fifty. I think after two fifty you could time it. If you were an athlete, till his you arm could at falls least, off. You could at least, yeah, till the, till Scherzer's arm is a, is a, a, a jelly bean out there. But yeah, uh, yeah. well that's that's the thing. The, uh, and I, it was a great story. It was a writer. He used to be in Southern California, and I knew him when he was in uh, uh, with the Baltimore Sun years ago. And then he went to the uh, uh, I guess the Rocky Mountain News in Denver named uh, Mike Litwin, uh, an outstanding writer, p- columnist, and whatnot. And he used to cover the Dodgers for one of the, the SoCal papers. Uh, and I don't know if, if you ever ran into him, uh, 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 Tom, or not, but uh, they were kind of criticizing uh, some of the Dodgers because they couldn't get a bunt down. And Tommy Lasorda said, listen, it's not that easy. And, and so he challenges, why don't you guys all come early tomorrow? And I'll pitch to you. You know, I'm whatever Tommy was at the time, 55-year-old man who was 50 pounds uh, past his, uh, his prime, you know. <laughs> so so they stood in, and uh, right away, uh, uh, and Tommy was a left-hander. Uh, he threw a pitch kind of up and in to uh, Litwin, who was a left-handed hitter. And so he kind of ducked out of the way of it. Now the next pitch looked like it was headed right for his head. And he just took a dive. And it was a big, slow curveball that broke right over the heart of the plate. <laughs> and he said it was like one of the most humiliating moments of his life. And uh, and he said before they even continued, he said, "Okay, Tommy, you made your point, and I apologize. That's you know that's it's just not fair. And you're you haven't pitched for years, and 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 so on and so forth. So uh, it, it's not just that they throw the pitch and throw it over the plate, but it's all the other things they can do to the ball and the." the way they can change speeds and, and, and so on and so forth. So yeah. we did time it one night on Sunday Night Baseball when Joe Morgan and I were together. And from the moment the ball left the hand of the pitcher to the moment the hitter began his swing was 
0.2 seconds or two tenths of a second or anywhere from 0.2 to 0.22, less than a quarter of a second anyway. And when you think about all the things that a major league hitter, you know, calculates in that one fifth of a second, like fastball, breaking ball in my zone, not in my zone, pitch to hit, not pitch to hit. uh, It's almost superhuman what they're able to do, the good ones especially. And J.T. Snow watched that game, and the next day uh, I was back with the Giants, and J.T. came up to me and said, I was watching that last night, and I started thinking to myself, damn, how do I do that? <laughs> you watch it, you go, that doesn't really seem possible, does it? Yeah. And <laughs> I would so say. I asked him, I said, well, how do you do it? Yeah. And, and he said, the only thing I could figure is I've done it my whole life. Yes. And after a while, there's certain things you just, uh, in your mind, uh, it becomes second nature because uh, I'm not de- definitely thinking like, oh, yes, that's the fastball down the middle that I've been waiting for. <laughs> because it's, it's hard to even have that thought in one-fifth of a second. So, yeah. anyway. I, would, I would say this, though, John, and I want to ask you about the, uh, the, the, the new rules and the season coming up, but I would say this. When Tommy Lasorda says something like that, because athletes do from time to time say something like that, well, you try it, you can't do it. Well, there's a reasonable expectation of a professional athlete that you're not going to have of someone walking off the street. So when, like, we're asking athletes and professional athletes that have done it their whole lives who can square up 98-mile-an-hour fastballs to get a bunt down, that's not unreasonable to say you should be able to get a bunt down. No one's saying it's easy. No one's saying the sport is easy. But you've managed to play it your whole life and play it at such a high level. You've made it to the big leagues. And if you practiced it just a little bit, if teams cared about it, Players should be able to get bunts down. They they should. I, I firmly believe that. Is it easy? No. But if you can score up a ninety five mile an hour fastball, you should be able to bunt at least at least get it down. A, you know more than occasionally. But these guys, you can tell they don't even practice because they actually some of them actually look like they just walked off the street when they're asking him to bud. I mean, it's like, what, what is that? I've seen grips on the bat, John. I'm like, are you trying to break all your fingers by wrapping your hands around your bat and exposing it to the pitch? It's like it's like somebody said bun. You said, okay? Like, what? What, what, what do you tell you? A different language. I don't even know what the hell you're talking about, bun. So. Well, well, we did see, I mean, Barry Bonds. Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day. Plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen. I I, I saw him bunt for hits several times and uh, uh, he could do it he didn't want to do it the Giants did not want him to do it but uh, <laughs> yeah. occasionally if he was slumping and uh, and and they were giving him the bunt and uh, and thrilled if he actually took it but he bunted for a hit I saw Willie McCovey and I've told you this story many times uh, second game of a doubleheader Willie Mays had a two-out single uh, with in the bottom of the first inning and McCovey came up, and they went into the big shift. The candlestick, in 1970, candlestick had just put in the artificial turf and uh, getting ready to turn it into 49er Stadium. And McCovey bunted right along the third baseline. And Mays scored from first, and McCovey had a double. And uh, 
uh, I love that story. And we were going nuts. Uh, my friend Lyle Sorensen and I were sitting in the upper deck, and we just, uh, you know, the Giants had just lost the first. The first game was 13 innings. Imagine this. Willie Mays was three days from his 39th birthday. He played 13 innings in game one. And there he is in the lineup in game two, and he scored from first on a bunt (laughs) three days before his 39th birthday. And Darren Chan, going through the archives at KMBR one winter, he'd heard me tell the story. Uh, He found Russ Hodges' call of that bunt. And it's like the greatest call I've ever heard. Because it's the last thing in the world I'm sure Russ Hodges thought was going to happen, the great Hall of Fame Giants broadcaster. But he bunted right along the third. And, and you, the way he, he was so vivid with his description, uh, it was right past third. And immediately he had Mays coming around second. He may try to score. Uh, and he's heading home. And Tony Taylor, the left fielder, is up with the ball. He's, here's the throw home. Mays hits the deck. He scores. Uh, McCovey ends up at second. Willie Mays scores from first on a bunt that was a double. And uh, if you ever have a chance to find it, uh, check it out. I, for me, it's one of the great calls that's inc- that I've heard. Now, that's incredible. The last time I ever saw something like that, I think it was uh, Jake Taylor laying down a bunt, Willie Mays Hayes scoring from Second base I was gonna say, in the movie Major uh, League. Yeah, he, got, he got him to the World <laughs> Series. Which was a, yeah, well, yeah. Jake Taylor didn't make it to second, though. He didn't even make it to first, but he scored. Uh, he did it for the team. Scored him. Okay, let me ask you about calling <laughs> the games. Like Mays, runs like Hayes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thank you. You may, you may run like Mays, do you but feel, you like, yes. Do you feel like this year you're going to be calling kind of a new sport? Like, this is, this is going to be interesting for you because there are just so many new rule changes all at once. How have you kind of dealt with all those things coming into spring training and what you might see and what teams might do as you get ready for the regular season? I think the, uh, I mean, I've been uh, checking. MLB had a seminar in New York for uh, broadcasters uh, like Jeff Kuyper, our TV producer. He he went and uh, they, they wanted to give all the TV people the lowdown because uh, TV is going to be able to plug in to the timers and, and all that kind of stuff so that uh, they had the question of how can we get those times on the screen and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so I was able to, uh, uh, I got some uh, from the seminar, they had some links to different parts where they talked about the timers, they talked about the new bases, they talked about the, the new uh, rule, the, the bands, the shifts, all this kind of stuff. So I've been trying to get up to speed on it. Tomorrow, down in Phoenix, I'm going tomorrow morning so I can get to Chase Field at 2 o'clock, and they're going to have a, a special uh, seminar for the broadcasters who have to uh, try to deal with it. And I think the, the thing is is that I feel like I've gotten a lot of info about what they've talked about from these links to the earlier seminar, but uh, I will also be able to ask questions of certain things that mm-hmm. as it's, as they're talking about it, that I, that I'd like to know, but the, the pitcher uh, from the moment he takes the ball back, he receives the ball back from the catcher after a pitch, the clock starts and he's got 15 seconds uh, until he must start his delivery. So the clock stops as soon as he starts the delivery. It's not, it doesn't have to be 15 seconds before he releases the ball. But also the, the catcher has got to be set up in the catcher's box eight seconds after the pitcher gets the ball back. And the batter has to be in the batter's box 
facing the pitcher nine seconds after the pitcher gets the ball back. That's a lot of moving parts there. A lot of people are being timed. So I think more so for the batters and maybe even with the catchers on occasion, uh, there's going to be some controversy and some arguments uh, because if that batter's not ready to go in nine seconds, okay, it's, it's a called strike immediately, just like that. And uh, if the pitcher doesn't get rid of the ball within the or go into his motion within 15 seconds, it's an automatic ball. Uh, and, you know, there'll be some arguments about that as well. But uh, uh, And then there's the, the new rule about uh, pickoff throws to yep. first or even stepping off the slab. And uh, and I have heard I, – I'm, I'm, I am – I will say I'm, I'm withholding judgment uh, on all of these things until I see them uh, in play. But I do have a question about the, the nine-second rule for the hitter being in the box. Yeah. What's the need? Can't that take care of itself if he's not ready to go? Uh, the pitcher can throw without any trouble, right? The guy, the guy's not ready to go, or just call it a strike. But whatever. The, uh, I, I guess that's the whole point. But uh, the, I think the guy wants to be ready to, to hit. So why do you have to regulate it that he's got to be in the box at a certain time? So anyway, uh, I, I think as, as time goes on, then they'll, they'll they'll refine those rules and they'll see which parts of them. Uh, are working and which parts can be eliminated or which parts can just be adjusted and, and that sort of thing. The one I, I don't like is the one I thought was just going to remain for the pandemic and uh, that we'd finally be rid of was this uh, free runner on second base, this automatic runner in extra innings. Uh, but, uh, and and I, the commissioner said that, well, the players like it. Uh, uh, Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Let's get into season four, episode three, Facade. People get picked on. I got picked on. But scabby, abby, scabby, the whole school yeah, just hurt me. I felt like it wasn't real. If I may, I want to defend the storytellers. The people who created the show wanted you to feel like these people were the worst people ever. They pretty much said the whole school of Smallville High are bad people. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Yeah, pitchers like it, uh, so on and so forth, and and I think the fans like it. Well, who told you the fans like it? <laughs> Which fans told you, Rob? Which ones? Yeah. He didn't ask me. But he didn't ask me, John. Fans don't like I it. I'm waiting for the call. Players like it. <laughs> Show me the data. Show me the data. Yeah. How many fans actually like it? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, what's the most intriguing? Before we let you run, what's the most intriguing thing to you heading down to Scottsdale about the 2023? Giants, what are you most interested to learn about this team? Well, for me, the the thing that would be most interesting in spring training is to see some of these young guys like Kyle Harrison from the Bay Area, from De La Salle High School, comes to mind. I, I ran into a guy who caught him last year, uh, a guy who's in the Giants farm system, a catcher, uh, uh, and uh, Emery is, is his last name. His brother's an artist, and we were in North Beach, and strolled into a little gallery and his brother was having a little showing of his artwork with really cool artwork there on Grant street, just off of uh, Columbus. And, and he was a giants fan. And he said, you know, my brother is a catcher in the giants farm. He's standing right out there in the sidewalk. <laughs> and, uh, and as we were, as he was pointing him out, his brother came in and we met and then his mom and dad came over. They're big giants. fans. <laughs> so anyway, I'm hoping to see him in spring trading and maybe take him to dinner, but, but he gave me the lowdown on, on Kyle Harrison. And, and he said that, and I think it's the same thing that 
uh, Gabe Kaplan just told all the writers down there the other day that he's got great carry on his fastball. He's got that high spin rate. And he says it's a little unusual because uh, he, he's a, more of a kind of a high three-quarter release and gets that carry. And and the ball just kind of takes off and, and even can tail away. But it gets on the hitter, and then it looks like it explodes to the hitter and just has that little hop on it. So he said it was easy to catch him because he mainly just called fastballs because nobody was hitting, hitting it. So now he may not be able to do that in the big leagues, but we saw – uh, Jake McGee has some pretty good success with that for a, a long time with something similar. So, anyway, I'm anxious to see him. And there's a young third baseman named Schmidt. And I know you guys, you've been talking with uh, Farhan and, and some of the, the people with the Giants, and you've, you've heard all these names. But Schmidt is uh, uh, real intriguing yeah. because he, he's got an incredible arm and quickness and a great glove. They they kind of likened him a little bit to uh, to Matt Chapman in his prime with the Athletics. So. Uh, Anyway, so uh, those would be the fun thing. But I'm anxious to see Michael Conforto. Does he look yeah. healthy? How's he swinging? How's his arm? I know they're, they're kind of slow playing him with the arm early in the spring. He's coming back from that, that, that injury. Uh, and, uh, and Mitch Hanniger, the, you know, he had a freak injury last year. The, the last full season he had the year before last, he had 39 home runs. And Seattle is not an easy ballpark in which to hit home runs. So I, I, that, that kind of jumped out at me, that 39 home runs. So. And, 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 and Joey Bart, I, I'm of the opinion, because uh, I, I, I like Joey Bart, I'm of the opinion that uh, after the experience last year and all the lumps he took, that uh, we're going to see the best of Joey Bart this year. And I, and I hope that that's the way it, it goes. I'm not sort of a disinterested party on that, but I'm really excited to see him go out and, and just uh, and, and blossom and, and have all that talent show uh, the way that uh, I think the Giants have always felt it could. Absolutely, I agree. See, some people like to say somebody's fastball has carry. I like to say it stays on plane, John. It stays on plane. That, <laughs> that's my go-to saying. Oh, no, I, I'm going with high spin rate. Oh, okay, high spin rate. Okay, you go with that one. I'm going to go with swing tunnel. You yeah. want to stay out of the swing tunnel. That's oh, okay, where, that's it's swing with. tunnel. Yes, yeah. yes, it, uh, uh, turbo zone. Stay yeah. out of the turbo the, zone. The, and the other is uh, – I'm looking for the return of late night Lamont. Yep, uh, a lost season, and uh, uh, Farhan pointed out uh, it's not like he's a young guy who had a, a a great season, and you wonder if it was a fluke. No, he he'll be 29 years old this year, so uh, they they feel like they saw what he was capable of, and they fully expect being healthy again that that's what he'll give them again uh, something uh, something like that. So. And I believe that, too. And I remember Dwayne Kuyper and I, early in the spring uh, two years ago, we saw him play first base over in Goodyear. And we're very impressed with how he moved. He took a couple of low throws on in-between hops and, and a couple of uh, shots. And, uh, and as great as Brandon Belt, and truly a great first baseman for a long, long time. But not last year. He was hurt. Yeah. His body was a shell of its, of its former self with the bad knee and whatnot. Hopefully he's gotten that fixed, uh, and, and he'll be back to his old self in Toronto. But but I think Lamont has the ability. He's an outfielder playing first base. He's got the ability to be a very strong first base with, with more range than Brandon Belt. So uh, so I'm excited to see him and and back. And and I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of his. He's he's a great guy. So I'm I'm rooting for him. Big yeah, I, well. I I agree. he is. We had a chance to meet him at the Fan Fest. Really nice guy and. 
think a lot of people will be rooting for him. John, as always, we appreciate it. Hopefully we'll be talking a lot throughout the course of the year. And uh, you got about uh, seven and a half minutes to your speaking engagement, so it's time to get going. <laughs> you get warmed up, John. Well, I'm, I'm in the, I was here for the uh, Bedell Frazier uh, Investment uh, Company or Money Management Company or whatnot. I really just came not to talk baseball. I just want to pick their brains and see if they can uh, give me some, you know, good tips on what to do next. <laughs> That's what you yeah. need. Good, right, good investment <laughs> tips. Well, have a good time, and we will talk to you soon, John. Thanks, John. Have a good day. All right. All right take it All easy. The, the Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen.